This is Journey with Care. We're in our series, The Flavors of Care. In a world where curiosity and knowledge thrive, one individual shines as the ultimate explorer, the investigator, also known as the Enneagram Type 5. The investigator stands as a beacon of insight and contemplation driven by an insatiable thirst for understanding. With an analytical mind and an unwavering commitment to uncovering the truth, they navigate life's complexities with an intellectual fervor that sets them apart. Behind their thoughtful exterior lies a world of depth and curiosity as the investigator tirelessly explores the realms of knowledge, seeking to unravel the mysteries that surround them. Their unique blend of introspection and a quest for wisdom draws others into their world, creating a space where ideas and insights flow freely. Amid their pursuit of understanding, the investigator recognizes the importance of connecting with others on a profound level. Their ability to offer insight and perspective creates a nurturing environment where intellectual exploration is coupled with empathetic engagement. In the presence of the investigator, one feels encouraged to delve deeper into the realms of thought and knowledge, inspired to expand their own horizons. Their capacity to ignite intellectual curiosity and foster genuine connections serves as a catalyst for personal growth and meaningful change. Today, we are thrilled to have a special guest, Laura Solberg, joining our host, Wendy, to unravel the intricacies in the investigator's world. Prepare to be captivated as we explore the Enneagram Type 5, The Investigator. So let's get curious and let's start the conversation. We're back for another flavor in the series Today, we get to dig into a new flavor, the investigator, uh, also known as the Enneagram 5. And with me here in studio, we have with us Laura Solberg. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Laura, you actually grew up in Alberta on a farm. Is that true? Yeah, I grew up in Southern Alberta on a farm half an hour outside of a very small town. Um, So I'm like the definition of a Canadian farm girl. (laughs) And yet you find yourself now in the bigger city of Vancouver. That's a big switch for you, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I've spent probably more of my life now in the lower mainland in BC than I did in Alberta. But I still think that those roots of growing up you know, very rural location, like really, really impact how I experience life in the city and how I engage in the world around me. So I think it's kind of one of those things where like these complementing or some sometimes conflicting parts of my identity show up in interesting ways. And I was visiting Vancouver at the Kentro conference event that you were hosting. Laura, you are the executive director of Kentro. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So Kentro Christian Network is a network of now over 70 organizations that are all based in Canada and working in communities, whether here in Canada or internationally, addressing different forms of poverty and from a Jesus-centered perspective. And so the big picture is we're kind of all in this together. We're all working towards the same goal, which is flourishing lives in communities. And my personal belief is that poverty is also the result of broken relationships. And so if we are trying to address the impacts of that, of broken relationships, then relationships 
have to be a part of the solution. And that includes the way we work together with communities and with partners and with people and towards flourishing, towards, you know, addressing some of those causes of poverty and some of the symptoms of poverty as well. So we provide an opportunity for people who are working in those types of organizations to connect, learn together, collaborate, all of that kind of stuff. And I've been excited. Care Impact has been thrilled that I get to be part of an advisory team of a new initiative for a domestic network here in Canada, gathering nonprofits from coast to coast here to be able to work together, not just internationally, but actually in our own backyards in our cities. So so that's really exciting. But I want to really dig into the flavor that we're highlighting today. And at the very end of the Kentro Network gathering, we were chatting and you mentioned your Enneagram 5, the investigator we're calling lovingly. My eyes lit up because I said, hey, we need to have this conversation. I want to dig into your flavor of what makes you go because you are a beautiful, natural leader. And we would like to learn a little bit more. But before we get into that, I have a very serious question. We've been asking all of our flavors, all of our different guests in this series, um, what kind of ice cream would characterize the investigator in your opinion? I feel like I want to say something that takes a little bit of thought to dig through the flavors. Um, <laughs> Hence you're thinking the question. Yes, exactly. So like I, I come back to some of the flavors that I personally like and why mm-hmm. I like them. So the two that come to mind is the first one is honeyed lavender because it's just not an obvious flavor. There's some subtle like nuances to that flavor and yeah. they, they, they sort of come to the surface at different times. It's not super popular even necessarily. Mm-hmm. And then the other one that I tried just recently was rose and cracked pepper. And oh, that's another one. Exactly. So I was like, oh, that's like a really, it's a really complex. It's really, I love flowers and maybe that's part of it, but it's floral. It's not like something that you would automatically think of as an ice cream flavor and cracked mm-hmm. pepper. Like what the heck? But once you get it all together, it's just like there's these different layers and facets to the flavor that is really, really cool. So that's I think that's what I would say. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's very unique. No, that's great. I was wondering, in, in my own mind, wondering if people who are investigators are also known as Enneagram 5s, if they would go into Consumer Reports and research a little and <laughs> see, see what is the best flavor in town or, or the most unique type of things and... Mm-hmm. Uh, not necessarily be dictated just because they see a promo sign up for McDonald's. They're not just going to go there. No, no, exactly. <laughs> I see the different things in there. And I know a little bit about Rose. I know a little bit about cracked pepper. Mm, wonder if those would be good together. Well, let's investigate that, right? So, <laughs> Well, there you go. I, that's it. You're curious about it, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but how would you describe yourself as an investigator? Yeah, it's. Uh, it took me a long time to land on five, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, for the longest time, I thought I was a four. And something about that just didn't quite sit right. And I think part of it that was confusing for me was that, and I still think this is a bit of a journey that I'm on and will probably continue to be on for the rest of my life, but is how my own personality, mental health, and sort of Enneagram type interact with each other. Yeah, there's so many nuances, right? It's not just like, this is me, this is my label. Yeah, totally. And so I think for me, the the thing that really sort of caught my attention and helped me land on the five and then from there landing on it, starting to investigate, investigate, there we go, go again, um, that a little <laughs> bit deeper and finding, oh, this does fit. This actually does fit. It makes more sense. Was the idea of almost like hoarding or storing up energy okay. and time because I recognized like that was my language for how I organized mm. my time 
for a long time before I knew anything about the Enneagram. And so like, I'm very, very introverted, which I know is kind of common amongst spies, but not always the case, but I'm very introverted. And I would always, the language I would use though, is that like my social energy, I need to guard my social energy because I need to have enough for the things that matter for me. Do you think a lot of investigators are more self-preserving in nature? I guess you can't speak for everybody, but it, I I sense that you have more of that self-preservation side to you in how you do it. And I also hear you saying you probably investigated a lot to understand yourself. You did oh, a lot have. of research. Yeah, to be honest, not a ton on the Enneagram um, until I started to like dig in a little bit more when I landed on a five. Um, but in all sorts of other personality types and things like that, I've done a lot of that kind of stuff because I want to understand, but I also do that for other people. Like I, I try and like analyze through other people, but back to your question about other fives and I'm, I don't know a ton of other fives. I have one good friend who is a five as well, but I just recently sort of found out that she does identify herself as a five. And so I know for me, the self-preservation is very, very strong. And I would assume if other people's brains are analyzing as much as mine is as well, and like taking in so much all the time, like, I don't know how you would exist if you weren't a little bit self-preservation minded with your boundaries, because I know in my own life when I haven't done that, I mean, there's a, there's a balance because if I do that too much, then I forget to engage in the world and other people and all of that. I forget (laughs) I have a body, to be honest, but I don't, I really don't understand if, if somebody who does observe as much as I do or analyze or think as much as as much as I find it happens in my mind. I don't know how you would survive if you didn't put up some of those self-preservation boundaries because when when I haven't done that, it has usually landed me in a very difficult place. <laughs> like just being very wow. overwhelmed and then shutting down. So well I find that very fascinating because I'm I'm more of a challenger and in stress, I will dip into um, the five, the investigator under stress. I even have on my my calendar, I'm hiding under a rock. I, I just get exclusive. And, and it's really to research, to do deep work. I really appreciate kind of going into that research investigator mode. But naturally, when I'm not under stress or deadlines, I have not a lick of self-preservation about me. <laughs> so I could really learn from you. Uh, and so could so many people that don't find that natural. Uh, what would you say is like a core motivation for you as an investigator, a, a type five? I want to learn the whys of everything. Like if it's, whether it is like an interpersonal thing or just another person, like I want to know all of the whys. Well, why did, did they do that? Well, why does that choice seem like the only, like I, I want to keep on asking the whys, even when it comes to the systemic things. Like I want to dig back all the layers because I kind of feel like if I do that, then I can figure out how to shift and change the current reality if it's not what I want it to be. So like if there's a problem with something or somebody is dealing with an addiction or um, Mm -hmm. there's, you know, looking at issues of poverty and injustice, like I really want to be able to peel back those layers and figure out the components that came together to make that the case so that I can start to restructure in a different way or be a part of building back to wholeness and back to health. Even in like silly things, like when I go on retreat, I like section my days off and the, like I have a research block of time because like if I see like, (laughs) that's classic. This is what always happens to me. I often go, I live in Vancouver and I often go to one of the Gulf islands. And so you see orcas or you see sea life or whatever. And like, 
one of the most life-giving things for me is like lose myself learning about what orca pods are around here and what are their family dynamics. And so like, it's just naturally what I do. (laughs) And you have a natural curiosity about you. Now you were saying you ask the why a lot. So I'm going to give that back to you. Why do you ask why so much? What's the underlying reason for why? Needing to know why. I think if I understand things better, I can better be a part of, yeah, moving things towards greater health, greater flourishing, Mm. healing areas of brokenness, preventing future problems, you know, building better. Like I think in, in terms of my work and looking at some of the big challenges of poverty and injustice globally and locally, I feel like understanding the roots of that poverty and injustice Mm -hmm. helps us to address it at the root causes of it rather than just the symptoms around it. And I would say the same like in interpersonal relationships or family systems, like that kind of stuff to me is really important to get at the root of what is actually going on so that you can more meaningfully address the actual problem or the actual cause. That is such a valuable contribution, thinking in a team or in a community, because sometimes people don't. We don't stop and really ask why. We keep doing stupid and get the same results, right? And we get mediocre results. And you are, on the other hand, are going to say, okay, why is this happening this way? Or why does this occur when this happens, you know, or when somebody contributes in this way? But you will ask the question and... A lot of investigators find themselves, competency is a big deal. You want to be competent in what you're talking about. You don't want to just like kind of fluff your way through and just kind of come up with answers on a whim. You really want to know what you say is is really thoroughly researched. Am I speaking out of turn or or would you agree with that? No, I would totally agree with that. Like my whole life, I have never wanted to do something unless or say something unless I knew it was going to come out. Not necessarily, I mean, perfect is a high standard, mm-hmm. but but like, well, at least, right? Like I didn't want to ever fail at anything, try something and look stupid or embarrass myself. People always used to say, I think I've gotten a little bit more willing to learn in front of people and to speak out that learning in front of people as I've, you know, aged. But people always used to say that I didn't say a lot, but as soon as I would open my mouth, everybody would stop talking and would listen because they knew that I had thought it through that there was something important probably that I was going to say because I had thought it through and then like articulated a response that was going to come out fully formed where I think I'm getting better now at like articulating things are not quite fully formed and having that be part of the learning experience. Yeah. And I guess I would take courage then too, when things are half-baked and you're, you're putting it out there in a team environment, you're not coming with the end result if you're really wanting to work with collaboration. But I love that we all need investigators in our circles to be able to present that. And when you speak up, people do listen because it is something that is valuable. It's gold. And we actually um, need to lean in to the wisdom that you thrive in, right? Can you tell me a little bit more about your personal story? Like, how have you navigated life? You talked a little bit about your childhood uh, or some of your life choices, but how has that been? Give me a day in the life of Enneagram 5 as an investigator. How has that shown up in your life? Yeah, and this is where I think it's part of the reason I thought it was a four for so long is that I'm also a very highly sensitive person, emotionally a little bit, Mm -hmm. but like actually like my senses are very highly tuned to everything around me. And so although I know in the Enneagram, there is like an existential, you know, line between the four and the five, the heart and the head, but 
I think growing up when I was a kid, it was very easy for me to get lost in my own imagination. And I use the word imagination very particularly because it wasn't necessarily my own thoughts and it wasn't necessarily my own feelings. It was kind of this integration of the two, including like what I was seeing in front of me. Like I would go and spend hours in our back pasture, just like watching the butterflies and examining the flowers and seeing how they all like work together and then imagining all the little things that might be going on underneath it. And I spent a lot of time on my own. And of course, like I said, I grew up very, very rural. And so had lots of opportunity to spend a lot of time on my own. But even compared to my brother or sister, like my brother or sister would like talk with my mom or hang out or want to be doing other things. And I would literally be in my room or outside somewhere on my own and perfectly happy to just be on my own. And I think that that has stayed with me through life. Like I can get into a zone and my husband can be in the room next to me, like talking or trying to say something or he'll leave and come back. And I have zero idea that any of that has happened because I am just like 100% in where I'm at and just have no room for distractions. So yeah, I don't know if that, to- does that to- answer I love your question? That. Yeah, no, that's really yeah. good. How has that served you well uh, in your current role with Kentro? Mm-hmm. I imagine that has a lot of gain for, for the team. Yeah, I think it does. I think it also, I mean, there's some challenges with that too, because like, if I can't be distracted, then like there might be distractions that I need to pay attention to sometimes. But (laughs) when I put my mind into something, like I could pick apart the bigger systemic thing and try and figure out how to shift things around and make it work. Or I can look at a spreadsheet of financial stuff and follow it through. If I have the time to like sit there and figure it out, I can figure out a lot of different things and make it happen. And so I think that that is is one thing that has served me well in my current role. Although our network is 70 plus organizations, our staff is very, very small. And so people who work for smaller organizations or companies are in different contexts. Like, you know, you kind of have to be able to do a little bit of a lot of things. And so I think that's really helped. And I also think when you're talking about more systemic issues, which involve multiple groups working towards similar goals... Like you kind of have to be able to zoom out, but look very intensely at how are these things working together and how could we adjust things or create a better environment for more cross-pollination, more collaboration, things to work better. So to be able to, to observe all of those things and take it all in and then synthesize it and spit out something that is actually going to be helpful for other people to connect the dots that seem really apparent to me, just because that's how my brain works. When you're talking now and just thinking back of my experience at the Kentro gathering in Vancouver, I can see how that was valuable experience because I came away from there saying, you know what, there was plenty of downtime to cross-pollinate. There was plenty of time to learn from each other in very constructive, organized ways. It wasn't just like free time, go have a coffee. It was very constructive, very well thought through. There was QR codes for things. There was a a strategy for how we were going to do breakout sessions, but there was just a lot of time to sit with the information. And I felt that I came away as a challenger, as an eight, I came away having processed a lot more together than I normally do at an event where it's just like, go, 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 (laughs) get FOMO if you don't attend everything. And, And I thought it was a very meaningful experience that you don't always hear or see active in a leadership setting. So mm-hmm. I, I really appreciated that. That's great. It's funny because like, I, I think that's a, everything that happens in a setting, almost everything that happens in an event that I 
aren't a part of designing or program or anything like that, like people can ask me a question about like, why did you do it like this? And I almost always have a very well thought through answer and they'll be like, oh, that makes sense. So it's nice to hear that the general experience of it is like worthwhile. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Those of us who are more spontaneous and and lead in the moment, we need that too at times uh, when circumstances come up. You can't always prepare for everything, right? That's where the challengers step up and other personalities as well. However, we do need the thoughtful people among us to to balance that out, right? I can imagine though, when surprises come, that must be challenging for you. Or what are some of the things that you wrestle with in day-to-day life or or in your ministry that as a investigator, it kind of throws you off course or, or challenges you in that? Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like in my work, I've often talked about there's work Laura and then there's social Laura. Work Okay, Laura go on. Is, yeah, so work Laura is very competent. It's very like confident and all that kind of stuff. Social Laura is kind of socially awkward, a bit too intense for some people. And like, I feel like I'm better developed in my work self, to be honest. And so like when you talk about a, like a crisis or an unexpected happening in a work context, I feel like I'm like, I got that. Like I have exercised that muscle and I can, I can make that happen. And part of that, I think is like working and traveling internationally a little bit and working with youth and uh, at risk youth and like that kind of stuff happens. So I think in a work context, I'm, I'm probably better equipped to handle that, but in a personal context, it's a totally different matter, (laughs) especially when it comes to friends not like the inner circle of friends that it doesn't take any energy. This comes back to like the hoarding of energy type thing or guarding energy is maybe a, a nicer way to say that. Um, but that second layer out, I need a lot of time to prepare for a change of plans or something. Can, if they give somebody, my friends called me last night, just like spontaneously, they're going to a movie. We're leaving in 20 minutes. We have an extra ticket. Do you want to come? I literally had to hang up the phone and like get a hold of myself before I made a decision. <laughs> talk to my husband and call back and say like, yeah, I think I can come. And then we debriefed it afterwards, my friend, my friend and I, and I was like, yeah, like when you guys called me, it was like very short notice. And I started to panic. She's like, yeah, I could hear that in your voice. I knew you needed a bit of time to like process. <laughs> so <laughs> there is a bit of a dichotomy and like, okay, so I can become so guarded in my time, my energy, wanting to know how things are going to, to play out that it, it stops me from doing some of the things that a spontaneous person like yourself maybe would be able to just jump into. It's just an interesting kind of duality that it's like, okay, I need to take some of those things that I've learned in the professional side of things and recognize that those are things that can translate into a personal, uh, and and it's still good to have the boundaries because I still do, you know, I value my work. I want to have the energy for it. I value my closest friends. I need to have the energy for them. And so if somebody outside of that comes and like pokes in on that, you know, I do have to be careful about that, but knowing that there are some benefits sometimes to like push outside of that discomfort and be like, hmm, maybe jumping into that spontaneity is a good thing and not doesn't need to rattle me to my core. <laughs> well, I really appreciate you saying these things because I think for those of us who do not identify as an investigator, the the curious type that it is thrives in research. Uh, we need to also be aware that when people maybe say, hey, just hold on, <laughs> this wasn't on my calendar, it's not a pushback on relationships. You love people, it's evident, but it's actually maybe we could do the courtesy of giving you a heads up when possible and just being courteous about that, right? 
uh, we are all wired differently. And just to respect that, I think is okay. Yeah. I have a couple of like my closest friends. Part of the reason why, how I feel valued by them is exactly what you're saying. Like even my friend last night who like, she could tell that I needed a second. And she actually said like, why don't you just take a minute to think about it? You can call me back, you know, or I have other friends who like, they just recognize that I guard my social energy well. And part of it is because I want to have enough to give to them in meaningful ways when we do have opportunity to interact. And so they have learned, and we've had hard conversations about some of those things, to know how to approach that well, but also to know when to effectively pull me out of that. Because there can be an extreme to that that can be very like exclusion. And like, if I can be okay on my own for a long time, then why not? you forget the richness that actually comes from Mm. being surrounded. Or like I said earlier, like I literally can forget that I have a body sometimes. Right. And that's not okay. (laughs) So tell me more. How how can people, when necessary, pull pull somebody like yourself out of those deep places of research and and, uh, contemplation? Yeah, I think my husband and a couple of my good friends have learned to ask the question of like, what is really going to be better for you? Because that's, that's like taps into that thinking, investigating brain of mine to Mm. actually analyze, okay, what is the best thing for me to do right now? Is it to stay in this headspace and continue to think things through? Or is it actually to like leave that there, tell my brain it's okay for a while, you can take a rest and get out in the real world with other bodies, with other people, with other relationships. To ask that question and then to trust that I know myself well enough to be able to answer it authentically and that's okay. And that either way, and this is what my one of my my closest friends, she actually always says, like if I'm sort of stuck in a like, I don't know to do this or to this, to go out or to stay in, she literally will be able to say to me, like, kind of pull the pin out of that pressure and say, like, either way, it's not going to kill you. Tomorrow will still come. Right. Mm, and so then all of a sudden it's yes. like, oh, okay. Like if I expend a little bit too much social energy tonight, I will be okay. If I decide to stay home and I regret it later, I will be okay. And I think the people who are closest to me are able to like put those choices in front of me so that I can, with my own investigator brain, look at the different options and say, I could choose this because that's going to be the best for me. And even if I'm wrong, I'll be okay. Yeah, that's really good. And I'm I'm curious, what you're saying makes me curious about when you are in a social setting or even in a workplace, we'll put both in this question, and you see incompetency in what other people are saying, not that they're stupid, but they're just bringing stuff that is, you've researched it, you know, there's a better way or a more thorough um, side to this. When you see incompetency, how do you deal with that interpersonally? <laughs> there probably is a difference, like you said, between the social and the the work. And depending on how close the issue is to my heart, there's different ways that I would engage with that. The one thing that I am trying to learn is owning my privilege humbly and knowing that me being a white woman There are times when actually, even if I see something that I don't agree with or I feel like is incompetent, sometimes my role is to be quiet and listen, depending on the position of power I hold in the group there. And sometimes my role is to speak up and say something. And so if I'm in a group with a bunch of people who like in our society kind of hold more power than me, and that is my cue to take my courage and 
open my mouth about something and say like, actually, I don't know that you have thought this through. And these are, you know, these are the reasons why. And to be able to like control my emotional side enough to bring my rational brain to play. And I think when I'm in a position where I hold more of that sort of positional power, even if I'm burning to say something, and again, it's not necessarily about incompetency, but wanting to participate in the conversation, or I feel like I know something because I've researched it or something with people who have lived experience that is different than mine, to being able to calm that emotional reaction down and be like, just listen, stop my brain enough from like trying to analyze all the things and just take it in and listen. But I do think that there is like being a very sensitive person and also having been in a lot of positions in rooms of men who are a lot older than me and in positions of power and hearing a lot of things where I just find there was one point where I was like, I think a lot of these people are in these positions just because they know how to like say things out loud more than I do or like have been given the spaces, not because they know more or more confident all the time. And once I clued into that, I was it almost like it gave me permission because I was like, well, I have some of the competence. What I need is the courage to speak into these places. And so open my mouth and actually start speaking them with grace and with love, but to actually like think it through and again, bring the rational mind to play and not let the emotions of that insecurity of that sort of take over. Yeah. And you know what? Interesting. I'm just from a bird's eye view. I'm listening to all the depth that you're you're speaking here and the way you're even interacting, you're researching them. <laughs> even in, in the interactions where you're not agreeing with them or you've chosen to be quiet and I don't have to have the most power or speak up out of my power, you're researching, you're analyzing the dynamics in, in possibly a deeper way than most people would even perceive. Absolutely. If it's a one-on-one conversation, I'm like going through my head, the things I know about their history, where they've come from, all the different little pieces. And I'm connecting the dots and being like, well, this is maybe why they're speaking from this perspective. I bet they don't run a lot of these circles. So maybe they haven't heard that perspective or whatever. If it's a group situation, because I'm observing, I'm investigating all the time. So I'm picking up on the different things. You got us all on a spreadsheet. <laughs> a spreadsheet sometimes it's a spreadsheet of body language or intuition as well, right? Where it's like, oh, I can see how this person is responding to that or, or something. And to be able to sort of go into that and even connect the dots for people that are there. Because I find that when people who are really good at investigating or observing a lot of those things, they also see connections in a way that doesn't come Mm. as naturally for other people. And I think that that is one of the things that has served me the most is to be able to, first of all, recognize that not everybody else sees the connections in the same way as I do. And then Mm -hmm. second of all, be able to help do that for people or set the table so that they can make those connections to greater understanding. And I think that's a great attribute right there, too, of many things that God has as an investigator. He he picks up on all the nuances in a group. And, and we've been looking at the flavors and seeing how we are made in the image of God. And I'm just curious, as an investigator, that Enneagram 5 tendency, how do you relate with God? What does that look like, even in your personal journey of spiritual growth and formation? Yeah, one of the things for me has been wanting to know and keep on digging deeper into some of those why questions again. And the thing that I have found really interesting about the way that I have pursued the knowledge side of things and then the relational side of things and in parallel with each other is I love to learn more and more and more about 
the biblical history, how it was written, the culture and the context, all of the different things. And the, the more that I learned, the more questions it brings up. And it's almost like you can never get to the end of the questions. And I love that because there's always more to learn. Um, and it shapes and forms how I exist in the world. And then from the relational side of things, one thing that has been really, really helpful for me is centering prayer and quiet reflection time. Because I think somebody who is always investigating and always analyzing and always thinking, the questioning that I was just talking about in terms of knowledge, and that only gets you so far because there's always more questions. You have to be able to sort of sit in this place of at least attempting to quiet your mind and not have to be the one who is thinking of all of it figuring it all out and being okay with some of those unanswered questions and some of that mystery that is just kind of innate when you're talking about the creator of the universe and how you relate to them. So I think that not only for my spiritual life, but for my mental health as well has been one of the best practices I could ever do is just centering prayer and mindfulness to just quiet that and tune in to the spirit and the movement of love in the world around me. Well, I think that's a valuable contribution to the community and to those of us who are in faith communities that you're able to embrace the mystery. And and sometimes we can get locked in. We want to have a corner on theology. We want to have the answers to everything. But to keep asking why is not a threat to, to faith. It's actually a deepening of faith. And I, I think for those of us who have investigators in our families or in our communities or in our church, we need to embrace that why and lean into that mystery because you're not threatened by it when you, you're telling me I, I don't have all the answers and it actually gives you more life. And, and I think we never will know enough about God. We don't have the corner on theology. And I just really value that piece. And I can imagine it would be stifling for a community if we shut that out. Yeah. Sometimes I wish that I didn't have to ask the why questions all the time, but a lot of the challenges that I see coming up in terms of division between people and not loving people well, sometimes I feel like it does come from just a lack of asking enough questions and figuring out enough whys. Because I feel like when you get deep down to it, a lot of the root things that we all wrestle with come from really similar places of us being human creatures that live in a broken world, that want to be loved and want to love and be safe. Well, Laura, it has been a delight to have this conversation with you. I would like to encourage our listeners to follow Kentro and the work you do. How can they get in touch with Kentro or the work you do? Yeah, so you can find us online at kentronetwork.ca and all of our social media channels are also just at Kentro Network. And we'd be happy to connect with anybody. We are all about connecting people that are trying to work towards flourishing lives and communities internationally. And there's multiple ways to get involved. And so I love that. I love being able to connect with folks and, and plug them in into the places where they feel called and drawn to. Well, Care Impact is grateful for this connection. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on our series, Flavors of Care. We will continue to celebrate the uniqueness of individuals and their ways of fitting into the community, sharing different perspectives and stories from different guests. We hope you'll join us and maybe you'll come out the other side learning a little bit more about yourself and those around you. And hey, just like ice cream, podcasts are so much more fun when shared with others. So share this series with a friend or family member and remember to visit our website, journeywithcare.ca 
to stay informed of upcoming podcast meetups, all the links, information on our guests, and so much more. Again, thank you for listening, and let's stay curious.